ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And um, today I wanted to bring on my friend, my colleague, my editor-in-chief over at thebirdrights.com, Ali Cosell, because over the last 24, 48 hours, we have watched as Pelican's Twitter is, has gone into kind of a, uh, flourish, a flourish, a rampage or whatever over the prospects of the Pelicans possibly going after Bradley Beal, even though we've heard nothing from the Pelicans' side. We've had no leaks from the Pelican side or anything indicating from Washington that this is even a conversation. This stems from Kevin O'Connor over at the Ringer in an informal conversation with 14 NBA executives and six of them said, we think the Pelicans will probably make a deal. Now, Ali, first of all, welcome to the show. Welcome to your first appearance in 2021. Thank you, David. Happy New Year to you and your family, buddy. Thank you very much, and to you as well. Um, first, I want to deal with what, what we have to deal with the Pelicans for yesterday. Um, game postponed with the Dallas Mavericks due to NBA, NBA COVID protocols. Um, the first game of this, what is now will be a, we hope will be a six-game road trip if all games are completed. Um, but quite frankly, uh, Stan Van Gundy made some very pointed comments about this yesterday. Um, there's no practice for the team today. There's traveling, so we're not going to hear from them today. But we're talking about it right now, 4,000 dying every day in this country from COVID. We're seeing areas where it's getting worse and worse, um, just huge spikes in numbers. Um, basketball rosters over the last weekend alone, just in that context, this is now the third game um, that has either been postponed or severely impacted due to COVID in the last couple of days. Um, we're reaching a tipping point. I see, you know, we saw reports that the league and the union are going to meet about protocols again, or maybe extending, expanding rosters and even calls for going back into bubbles. Ali, I don't see any of, any of those things happening other than at some point, a temporary shutdown. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, when you just look at what you said, we're 21 days into this season and it started off with the Rockets missing. What was that? I think the first, yeah, the first game of the year for them against the OKC Thunder, but then things were kind of quiet, but boy, in these last few days, things have spiked up tremendously, right? Celtics are now going to be getting, I think, yeah, tonight's game is their second postponement in a row for them. So their roster has been ravaged by the COVID related issues. Philly has gone through the same thing, right? They were playing Joel Embiid, and he was surrounded by a bunch of role players. They had to use their two-way players in yesterday's – actually, the last two games, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been affected. Dallas Mavericks, right, just now. We Couldn't have seen what happened to them. So that's three teams that have been hit hard. The Washington Wizards today had to postpone their practice. So that's four teams. I mean – And I the Nets like now are – possibly having to deal with that because of Kyrie Irving potentially exposing himself uh, to conditions outside of the league's agreement, going to birthday parties uh, for family members, which again, Hey, I, whatever, if you got personal time with the team, whatever, I don't know. That's his, that's Kyrie and the Nets, but still what you've done now is you put yourself in the protocols. He has. And before him, Kevin Durant missed seven days, right. Due to COVID. 
And there's been other guys we're probably missing off the top of our heads. So, David, yeah, I think this is just the beginning. So if the NBA is going to try and trudge through this, and I get the sense that they are. That's why, you know, the GMs were on a call yesterday. They were trying to explore ways to increase the precautions that could be taken. And today, all the governors are meeting on a call. So, you know, I've heard things thrown around like maybe we should expand rosters, and that's something maybe they should have done before the season started. I go up to 20. But I don't see how that alleviates the problem. I don't see how – even trying to restrict these players more from movement, you know, saying maybe, okay, we won't go to any restaurants now. Instead of we had like a list, right, that we should maybe be allowed to go to. Mm-hmm. Now maybe we won't go to any and just stay in our hotel rooms. It doesn't matter. I know people that have gotten COVID from being super ridiculously careful and, and taking all the proper precautions and they still ended up with it. So this is not something that I, I feel like can be easily circumvented so like i said until everybody gets the vaccine this is just what we're going to be facing right i mean and there's not going to be a bubble though people need to get that out of their minds the players not agree to a four five six month bubble that's just not going to happen get that off the ground now how how many months would that take planning then you've got to go up from 22 teams to 30 right you got to change the schedule again of a regular season not just eight I mean, it's impossible. You have to completely redo the schedule. Like you say, you're talking about travel components because you still have to, even if within these bubbles, what are you going to do? You're going to have sub pods and then move people from pod to pod. You still have, there's no way to bubble it unless they were all in the same place for the entire duration like it was in Orlando. And you cannot do that and have a full regular season. It's just not possible. Baseball tried it and they failed. It didn't work. You couldn't move people, even in those narrow geographic regions, when we were at a much different place. What we thought was bad then, we are worse now. And baseball couldn't pull it off. We see the NFL right now at these stages of the season. You got coaches that can't coach their teams. You got all this. And then you watch what happened with Alabama and Ohio State last night and how many people were out in the streets in Tuscaloosa and across the, the state. And you're just looking at... I mean, potential super spreader events all over the place, all over the place. And I think that it's, it's look, players at the end of the day, if a player's going to say, if I'm going to get sick, is this going to be at work or I'm just going to be living my life? I think a lot of them are going to say living my life. They are. And that's the mentality. I think in America collectively, that's why it's still a raging problem. People still disagree on whether they should be wearing masks or not, David. I mean, we're, 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 what, eight, nine months into this, and it's like day one all over again. And now we're in the middle of winter, where everybody predicted that things were going to get worse, and they have. As you mentioned, the 4,000 deaths. I mean, we're, we're climbing to 400,000 now, right, in America alone. That, that's... That's heartbreaking stuff. So, yeah, um, NBA cannot fight COVID, you know, and you can't do it outside of a bubble. So we are at its whims. I was listening to Antonio Daniels on NBA radio yesterday talk about it. And he's his, his, his uh, um, co-chair, uh, Rick Kamla, was saying, it's not time to push the panic button. We're fine. They can get through. It's only been four cancellations. Antonio took the proper though way of looking at this, the proper perspective and saying that, uh, no. Remember what happened last time? All of a sudden, COVID popped up, Rudy Gobert's got it, and all of a sudden, the NBA was shut down 24 hours later. So I think the same thing could happen again. Yep, absolutely. Um, But let's move on now to the topic at hand. Bradley Beal and the Pelicans. The savior. This has been going on now for two years. Like it, in the well, there's a particular fan base that has their eye on him. Somehow they try and fit him into New Orleans plans, right? It's a bias. Let's face it. 
Yes. And and also remember, Brad Beal right now is also out with health protocols too. He's one of those players who is in the protocols. So, um, but let I want to I'm going to look at this from some different ways so that we can thoroughly examine the reasons. And it's this is you know people the one thing that bothers me is that people say, oh, you're against the Pelicans getting better. You're Thank against you. the Pelicans getting better. I got hammered for that yesterday. <laughs> no one is against the Pelicans getting better, and we all understand that the most important thing you can have is talent. You have to have talent. Yes. Winning the most matchups on the court at any time is a function of talent. Yes. I get it. Undoubtedly. (laughs) And no one is talking about Bradley Beal, the player, you know, as an individual. Sure. He's one of the top shooting guards in the NBA. He can score as well as any player in his position in this league. Yes. Those are, those things are all true. And I understand too. And I think we, we get it that Pelicans fans tend to be focused on this team's offense. That's what they focus on. All it's fans. weird. David, all it's fans. Weird. All fans, yes. It's weird that we went from last year where everybody was, man, the offense is great, but they can't stop anybody. Now we're nine games into a new season and it's defense is great, which it isn't. It's fine. You, you, like I said, give up a we, uh, our, our colleague David Fisher talked about this, and I've said it too. You give up a 121 offensive rating to the worst offensive team in the NBA. And previous to that, against Oklahoma City, which was then the worst team, at that time the worst team in the NBA offensively, you gave them a 107, and they were a 100. So you gave them a pretty significant increase, a 7% increase. And the only team that you did not show an increase in these last four games of a significant amount to their regular season offensive rating was Indiana, which was already in the top 10. So (laughs) this defense has been very bad the last four games. Very, very bad. And, and, And we put this in context, too. Out of the nine games that they've played, six of them have come against teams in the bottom half of the league offensively. So <laughs> what, what does that tell you then, right? <laughs> to me, it's pretty clear. You fattened up on, on, bad, on bad teams. Those yeah, first but, yeah, five yeah, games were a mirage. My whole thing is that the Pelicans, whether they're getting beaten by good competition or bad competition, really is proven irrelevant here because you just mentioned the level of competition. And therefore, when you're giving up 27 fast break points to the OKC Thunder, who, as Stan Van Gundy said, were averaging seven and a half before that game. Then you turn around and give up, was it 17 or 18 offensive rebounds in the last game to the Charlotte Hornets, and they scored, 20, I think it was 27 second-chance points. Yes, and they shot the problem. So I don't care what your level of competition, if you don't take care of your own business, that is going to result in losses. And look, guys, I had somebody tweet at me this morning, taking a snap picture of the uh, defensive ratings, right, listed in order. Pelicans are fifth. Well, Let's just break it down for you guys, honestly. First five games, the defense was humming along, right? They Again, had- against teams, though, you beat Toronto, which has two wins, right? <laughs> you, didn't beat a, you didn't beat juggernauts in that group. The teams that they got off to that hot start with were – Toronto's a bottom half of the, again, league offense. They are, I believe, what, 16th right now. And that's the best of the teams that you've beaten is Toronto. And right below them, I think, is San Antonio. I think San Antonio's 18, I think, because it's – yeah. 
But, I mean, it's just easy to look at. The Pelicans in the first five games gave up under an average of 100 points. Last four, opponents are averaging 115. Guess you know what that's similar to? What we saw last year. Pelicans scored 115, almost 116 points a game last year. But they ended up 12 games under 500. Why? Because they gave up an average of 117. And that is exactly the formula we have seen over these last four games. So, please, people – when Stan Van Gundy's talking about it, when we're watching this, it's right there in front of us. The defense has been abysmal, right? So I'm sorry. It's great to talk about Bradley Beal, and it's great to want Band-Aids when you're on a three-game losing streak. And who doesn't want to add another all-star? Because, I mean, let's face it, you already mentioned at the top of the show, talent wins games. But to get there, it requires so many factors, and you've touched on some, and I'm not going to go through them because Bradley Beal's not even on the block. Right. I, I, it's, it's not even a possibility. There's no reason to go into this right now. Got to talk about what they can control. And that's what Stan's been focused on. I love that aspect about him. You know, he's, he's got a basic philosophy. We don't want to foul teams. We want to grab all the defensive boards to limit them to one shot. We need to keep our turnovers to a minimum. And, of course, you want to keep opponents out of the paint. What has really killed them is these turnovers. And I was telling you this, uh, we were chatting, you know, before this, this mm-hmm. podcast uh, via text. And um, I had noticed, I rewatched the first half of yesterday, or yesterday, the first half of that Friday's loss to the Charlotte Hornets. When they were up 18, they should have blown that game open to be up 30. But they kept on making stupid errors. And, and everybody wants to hammer Lonzo. It wasn't Lonzo, guys. It was Zion grabbing a, 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 grabbing a steal, trying to dribble between two defenders. Easy turnover, easy bucket for the Hornets. Josh Hart grabs a board, starts dribbling up the court like he wants to. Guess what? These Charlotte Hornets have good hands, right? They're known for deflections. Another steal. Boom. And we saw so many ridiculous turnovers. Steven Adams threw through Lonzo Ball's wickets on a cut to the rim to where Lonzo wanted it up top, but because he didn't throw it there, it was all in turnover. Another bucket for Charlotte on the other. And I saw multiple events of this. Then when you combine it to me, it's two things. The bad turnovers have continued all season, right? Yep. And, and then the bad bench play. Jackson Hayes continues to be unplayable. He came in, two straight possessions, causes two fouls. Charlotte was in the bonus shooting free throws, I want to say, with about six or seven minutes ago in the second quarter, right? They got into a great rhythm because they were struggling. They couldn't hit their three-point shot, nope. but they were still standing because of the Pelicans' turnovers. But then they started getting in the rhythm from the free throw line. And coaches will tell you that happens all the time. So that's why they want you to put opponents on the free throw line. So everything that's happened and results in this one in three terrible homestand, self-inflicted wounds, not a lack of talent. I want people to understand that. Let's let's go into this um, first in the financial uh, aspect of why this trade doesn't make sense. Because both of these teams are teams at – or above the salary cap. A trade for Beal has to be, if you're any player, has to be matching salaries within, uh, what is it? CBA rules. So that means the Pelicans have to give up multiple players. And you could say, well, let's let's just throw out some some basic, you know, you give up multiple players. So what you've done is you get Bradley Beal. And let's talk about the finances of his contract. He has two years remaining on his deal. After this season, right? After this season. So if you get him for this season, you have next season where he's going to be paid $34.5 million. Then in 2022, 
23, he has a player option, a player option for $37 million, $37.2 million. If you're Bradley Beal, you come here this season and next, and the Pelicans are still just a six, a seven, an eight seed. Uh-huh. And you can go into your play option because you want your money. You want your still, this is your last big chance. If you're Bradley Beal at 29, that will be his last big chance for a Supermax type deal. And at that time, who else is coming up for an extension, Ali, in 2022 23? It's got to be a whole bunch of players, but off the Besides Williamson? Amongst the. Yeah. Yeah. His, he's coming off his rookie deal. That's right. So you're talking about Zion's extension. So you and you're being year two of Brandon's extension. So you've got three, and you have Stephen Adams under contract for seventeen and a half million dollars mm-hmm. through those through each of those two seasons. So your starting lineup, four of your starters, and you still have Bledsoe under contract unless you've traded him. So it's, it's no Bledsoe will be done by then. Excuse me, by the player option year, but yet next year Bledsoe would be under contract for sixteen yeah, plus. He's moved in the Beal deal, All right? So next year, unless he's so, but he's not going to be moved in the Beal deal because it makes no sense player wise, and we'll get into that. But let's say you make that deal. Your starting five is 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 Bledsoe at 16, um, 35 basically for Beal, 35 for Brandon. But Brandon's at 30, what 31, excuse me. I think Brandon's at 31 million. And Zion will be in the $20 million range at that point. And Adam's at 17 and a half. Who's playing on your bench? How are you filling out the rest of the 15-man roster? I know. Look at the problems they had this year, right, in filling out the rest of their roster and what we use, right? They, I, I know they were limited because they couldn't use their exceptions because they came up underneath the uh, tax line, right, after bringing in Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe. Um, the money pushed them up, you know, close to the salary tax, and you don't want to go over it, you know, when you're not a winning ball club, let's face it. And the Pelicans, in their history, have never gone over it, right, in their 18-year history. So – in order for Gail Benson to sign off on that, you better be producing a heck of a winner. So and yeah, still be paying. I mean, from a roster construction standpoint, I have issues because this core has not proven to be a winner, right? And you're you also still be also you're paying three first round picks under there too, because you're paying Jackson Hayes his money, which is well, you're also going to lose probably Kyra, Nikhil, Jackson, at least two of the three. So you're losing the the good young talent that you hope to groom, right? The cheap you know talent that you can keep under the cap. That's serviceable. And you're giving so, away picks. You'd have to give away picks in that deal as well because you're not giving – you have unless you are giving away Zion or Ingram, you are not giving Washington a star. And Russell Westbrook is not going to be the star to carry that franchise. They don't have another person on that roster that you would say, you're not calling Rui Hachimura a star, a, you know, a franchise player. You're not talking about um, – you're not talking about Thomas Bryant, who's you know just blew out his knee. As Avia. who, Avia. yeah, D- Danny Avia, Avia, he's not a star, so he's not a franchise player. You're not talking about that about Davis Bertans. So if you're Washington, you have to be able to justify this deal, and you're taking an Alonzo Ball that's a restricted free agent who would have no intentions of staying in Washington, who would do everything he could to get out. But here's my problem with this. People are acting like you can go ahead and send all this garbage, marginal talent that has not proven itself from New Orleans, plus picks. Why does Washington do it? We saw what Anthony Davis commanded. I mean, let's face it. We saw what Drew Holiday commanded. What Drew Holiday commanded. 
in the last year of his deal, right? Before, I mean, I know he's got a player option, but still, the fact of the matter is, yeah, great players who, and, and Bill's in his prime. He's 27 years old. He is in the top 10, I think, of NBA players in the league for me. So Washington, unless they're ridiculously stupid, are easily going to look to other teams because they can get more. Bottom line, if, if, if Pelicans are saying, no, I'm not giving you Zion or Brandon Ingram, then I, if I'm them, I'm moving on. It's, it's that easy. You have to give me a star. You have to. If you're Washington, you are in demand because this is how this works. The template is out there. That's why Harden's still in Houston, right? Yep. They're demanding the same thing as Anthony Davis, and I guarantee you Washington will do the same with Beal, which, by the way, he's been on and off on the trade block for the last couple of years from what I've heard, and they haven't moved him because they haven't gotten the right offer. So and why are they suddenly going to cave and take garbage in? No. And you just, you just lit fire to your fan base by moving John Wall, who no matter what you think – John Wall was beloved in Washington. Beloved. Right? You gave up a pick and brought in the lesser of two players right now. Westbrook, he doesn't look near as effective as John Wall. So you're going to tell me if you're Washington, you're going to have a backcourt of Lonzo Ball and Russell Westbrook, and everybody's complaining about Lonzo shooting, and those are going to be the two guys in your backcourt shooting the basketball. Okay. That makes sense. No. It doesn't Plus, make sense. I, I, I'm sure they're jumping at the seams to want to add Jackson Hayes as their starting center. <laughs> like this is, it, it doesn't make sense if you're Washington because no, you're asking. I, I hate the overreactions. Like I said, you and I are not saying no to any superstar being no. added to the roster. Every team wants that. You want to improve the talent because let's face it, quality over quantity matters greatly in the NBA. But yet to do that, you know, you have to have a viable trading partner. The deal has to make sense. And then, yeah, I mean, and then, of course, we haven't even talked about fit issues, right, David? If you suddenly put Brandon – or, excuse me, put Bradley Beal on this roster, I think it would affect Brandon Ingram. And it his absolutely would. Usage, his trajectory, a lot of stuff. This if, team hasn't figured itself out. This young core – and if you're going to move forward with Brandon and Zion, you can't bring in a guy that's going to be a number one option and hope, yeah, it's not going to stifle their growth. And people are saying it could speed up. Well, yeah, that's true. Maybe they get in a few plays, but I don't see it working like that. Bradley Beal's averaging 34. There's still skill development that needs to be done by B.I. and Zion. The only way they're going to do it is by having the ball in their hands, going through the difficult situations, being placed in those scenarios. But if suddenly you're trusting Beal, I don't, I don't see it. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd be late. Beal's in a hurry, too. Like, that's the thing to me is Beal's in a hurry. Because if you're going to leave, you tr- you're going to someplace where you can win now. Because if you're going to give up the security of a franchise that has basically said, we picked you over John Wall, We're, we kept Bertans, we paid for him to stay, we, you know, we've done these deals, we've, we're trying to build something around you, they've said this is their commitment to him, then, yeah, for him to leave that – he's going to want some assurance that he's going to someplace that's going to not just be a good team, but this is how these players think right now. They want the assurance that they're going to be in a finals contender. They, yes. They, and the Pelicans don't become a finals contender. They, they, I don't think they get out of a second round. If, Bradley, no, if you're three, no. because you don't like, you have no point guard on the roster. Because you're, you're talking about Nikhil. There's no depth. And unless they learn to play defense, this, this team's not going anywhere with Beal on it. Let's face Beal, it. And you talk about the turnovers. Beal turns it over more than three times a game. 
He turns over more turnovers when they produce that much. I, I feel like have a positive effect offensively, right? His points per possession is high. He's very effective as a three prong scorer in the league, right? He does so many things wonderfully well. I don't Absolutely. think there's, there's, a, there's no doubt in my mind that Pelicans offense would be top seven, top eight. The rest of the way, if you flip him for They safety, could be that now, though. Blood so lots. Exactly. That's what I was going to get to, right? People are worried, but I've already mentioned that the offense has been humming along the last four games, right? Averaging, what I say, about 114 points a game. They're doing that, despite the fact they are still dead last in three-point shooting, right? I know they had the blip in the last game where they start off 7-10 to 10 in the first quarter, but overall, their averaging was at 32.2% from the three-point line. First five games, it was around 31. Last four, it's been about 32 and a half. They have started the year in the funk, and this is what you need to remember. And this is like for Jason Maples, all those guys out there who say they don't have the shooters. No, they actually really do, especially if you go by what they did last year, right? Last year, this, this group shot what? 37%, 37%, yeah, 37%, 7th overall. And who did they lose? They lost each one more over the summer. That's it. You replaced Bleds- or Holiday with Bledsoe. And guess, guess what? Bledsoe's our best three-point shooter right now, almost at 38. So, no, Nikhil, J.J., Melly, Lonzo, they're all at like 30% or lower. That's not going to stick around the whole season. They're going to improve, right? The regression to the mean is going to happen. It has to. And even if you took the worst year for J.J., that like again, basically what you're saying is he forgot how to shoot. Is, is if, if he keeps this the whole year. Is that he forgot how to shoot? Well, the old and man actually became an old man, but I, right. I haven't seen that. he still moves right the same way. Yeah, I don't see any kind of physical issues with him. No, it's it's this is the process of learning on the offensive end. It's, it takes time to figure out what roles because when we talk about the offense, and I, I just want to go through this quickly with you because you and I've talked about this in the offense. When people talk about pace, and again, Stan Van Gundy was very clear about this at the start of camp. What he meant by pace was the way in which the ball moves. And we talked about this even going back with Alvin, that Alvin didn't always mean pace was about running as fast as you could from one into the other. He talked about how pace was also cutting, passing, all those things that are involved. Pelicans have not been doing that. We, you, you just talked about rewatching the game, and there are possessions literally where the Pelicans are walking up the floor. And part of that is because they've taken the ball out of the basket because they gave up a score. Part of that is because they are not showing the requisite energy. You can hear, and we talked about this to Stan Van Gundy during the press conference yesterday. Uh, Coach, we can hear you yelling at your team, telling them to go, and they're not going. So why not? And this is the same thing we used to talk to with Alvin. I don't know why there are guys on this roster who from time to time, and, and maybe it's unfamiliarity, like for a guy like Bledsoe, who was brought specifically to attack the rim, that's his job is to go downhill. He's not been that consistently. So, and Brandon, yeah, maybe he doesn't need to start at the top of the key every time he gets the ball. Maybe you could, yes, maybe you do. Maybe Zion, who has been told to take the ball off the rim and run with it. Lonzo said, I need to get the rebound and run with it. Well, if you guys know these things, then do those things and see what the fuck happens. Exactly. There are so many things, just as you mentioned, that need to be approved upon, and they already know what they need to do. And so I think this is just growing pains. You've already talked about being a new team. They're a young team. They're very inexperienced, especially when it comes to winning games. 
And by the way, we're still kind of seeing that in clutch time. I know they won first two games that were in clutch minutes, um, but the last three, they've lost all three of those opportunities. And they haven't been, you know, clutch at all. And what I mean by that is they have not performed well on either end when it's come down to those close games. Brandon Ingram is still struggling, right? You look at his numbers, I want to say he's shooting about 30%. And he's taken the vast majority of shots, right? In 23 minutes, I remember looking this up yesterday, that he's played and he's shooting about 30%, shot 18 times, zero assists. He's a playmaker. He knows what he is. And he can't, he has not made, he's made what, one three all season in the fourth quarter? It's something ridiculous. It's either one or none. It's either one or none because up until. I think he's got one. But then the second most attempts is Lonzo. And we know where those shot attempts come from three. So to see Zion in clutch minutes with just five shot attempts, and I'll tell you what, he had a rolling day with the last two games. So I'm shocked that he wasn't given an opportunity instead of B.I., who had kind of struggled, and he drew a double team. I know he flipped. He made the right play. Hit Nikhil, open shot. You take it every time. But I'm, like I said, I'm surprised that Zion, who really did show a determination. I remember mentioning either on Twitter or in our DM chat that this guy is raring to go. He's really focused. He's not fumbling stuff off the feet, turning into double teams. No, he was really getting himself to the rim in a good manner to where he was very effective. So I'm shocked that he hasn't touched the ball in the closing minutes these last couple of games. So, I mean, it's just been a debacle. And here's the funniest thing to me, though. We've talked about all these issues. We've pointed out all these numbers. You know how easily they could be six and three right now, despite all these yeah, issues? That's the thing. It, it's, it, and it's literally, it's literally a series of calls a timeout, they win the Indiana game, right? Or if they just, I mean, they, even before those, you can oh, go sure. back early and say they had trouble inbounding it when TJ McConnell steals back to back in the third quarter is yes. when you start saying, what the hell is going on here? So they gave away its its possessions every quarter. And that's that's the thing is that we have to make sure fo- people focus on is that, yeah, you can talk about the last three to five minutes of every game. But if you've given away six, seven, eight, nine possessions, over the course of the game, and the Pelicans are giving away double-digit possessions every night on both ends of the floor, either by turning it over or their lack of transition defense that we've been talking about. Those are double-digit possessions every night. Then it doesn't matter how many you score because you're going to play the Lakers next. You're going to play the Clippers. You're not going to outscore the Lakers and the Clippers. You have to defend the Lakers and the Clippers. It didn't work last year, did it, David? The Lakers beat us up pretty much every time. Uh, yeah. Look, Dallas scored 125 points a game against the Pelicans last season. Dallas scored 125 points per game against the Pelicans, more than any other team they faced last year. And it's insane the the fact that you look at this year's team, the team that they were going to play on Monday night, and Dallas this year offensively, or you'd look at it from a, oh, from that the same perspective Pelicans fans have been looking at the defense, say, look, they're top – to Pelicans top five in defense. Well, Dallas is bottom 10 in offense this year. They've been a very bad offense for the course of the season. But in these last three games where Luka Dodging was averaging 35 points, 13 um, what, boards and 11 assists, and he's shooting – he's still – Luka's still only shooting 31% from three in this hot streak. David, this is crazy. He has struggled as a three-point shooter in his NBA career thus far, and nobody's talking about that. I just wanted to mention that real well, quick. What does he do? He creates three-point shots for other people. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. You know, his the fact that Tim Hardaway Jr. is able to get off, the fact that uh, Trey Burke, who can also create his own shot, but Trey Burke gets those looks because of Luka Doncic, 
that's what that's what the Pelicans are trying to introduce Brandon Ingram to be, but in, in a way. And I think that we've mischaracterized some of the players in our own minds as to what we think that they're going to do. Zion to me, yeah, when people talk about Zion going downhill, it's the two dribbles. It's the two dribble rule for me. It's not him starting the offense. It's that when he catches, be decisive with your move and go. That's not a function of the lack of shooting around them. We're still seeing the basics that we talk about all the time, post-entry passes. We talk about early, when you see Zion early in the offense posting up, they're not hitting him early. You talked about uh, Lonzo cutting off ball and not getting hit on those passes. How are those things have anything to do with shooting, Ali? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll get somebody to explain it to us. I mean, it's ridiculous, David. Look, it's clear as day for me, and this is the stat. The last one I'm going to throw at you guys. It's the opponent points off turnovers that the Pelicans have had scored against them this year. When they've given up more than 20, they've won one game, lost four. When it's been under 20, and that includes two 19-point uh, performances by the opponents, right? They've won three, lost one. I mean, that, that says everything to me. This team does not have an issue with offense to me in my mind. I don't think spacing is as big of an issue as people are creating it to be to just simply explain the wins and losses. That's not true. That's not what the numbers say. That's not what the, the film says. I mean, just really watch the game, guys. Watch it again and again until you see what we're trying to, you know, describe to you. Isolate and, and you have to watch, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm not saying this to be condescending to anybody, but when no. you do a rewatch, you have to watch the same possession maybe three or four or five times. I always have my finger on the rewind button all the time. Pause and rewind, pause and because rewind. Because you have to watch what every person on that court does to the out for the outcome of that play. What decisions did they make? What decisions, what where did how quickly were they all those things? You can't just look at it and say, well, look at the shot that you ended up with. Or look at what, what the outcome of that was. No, it's the yeah, process. This is has what to I'm talking evaluated. about when this team's still young. Zion still doesn't recognize double teams sometimes. And so he'll dribble, dribble into them. And th there's at least a couple turnovers that come from that. Our teammates, or, or the Pelicans, don't recognize when their teammates are open. Z or Lonzo was free twice underneath the rim. Bledsoe missed him once. Steven Adams didn't connect with him properly on another. That was four points, four gone. So, I mean, there's points being left out all over the court. Simple fact is because it's A, chemistry issues, B, they're still young, you know, doing stupid, silly mistakes, right? And so you've got to clean all this up first before you're going to experience the wins and losses, before you're going to see the improved numbers, before you, I think, as an organization, need to start determining, okay, we should really now focus on throwing our war chest at X player. And that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's patience a little bit. And it's not don't get better. It's know what you're what the cost of everything you're going to do is. This team because, still needs a lot of time. Stan Van Gundy says e even right just the other day um, talking about how I underestimated just how effective they were basically on the defensive end. He took it for granted that they had learned something. And these last four games have taught him no. Right. So I'm guessing they probably got away from practicing those habits, um, probably focus on a little bit too many other things. And so it slipped. And suddenly now he's regretting on not trying to ingrain it further. Right. I, so I think it's a mischaracterization. And we've seen some people in the media say countless hours on the defensive end practicing. They have not spent countless hours. They had two weeks of training camp, two weeks of training camp. And that, that doesn't mean that they went hard every day during that training camp because you couldn't do that every day.
You just couldn't no, physically have guys. So you're walking through stuff, right, David? Or you're doing drills. The only way, and, and, and Stan has said it's the best is live action. And I'm sure they probably haven't spent more than three or four hours total time practicing both Since between now and training camp, <laughs> right? Going full speed on trying to really learn the transition game to where it's happening in live, you know, game action speed. So, yeah, I mean, they're so still novices, such novices teams, in that area. Yeah, teams and I think it's going to continue. You understand is that as soon as the game is over, these guys are oh, they get on the plane if they're on a road trip there, or if they're home, they get a video or whatever they get sent to them about the next game's opponent, things that they need to watch, things they need, they have their information that they go home with, blah blah blah. There are certain guys who are film nuts who are watching all that stuff, but the on court time, the on court time to go through this stuff, you go to shoot around in the morning, you know maybe you shoot around in the afternoon, maybe if that's what your team does, but that's a walkthrough for the most part. It is a walking, it is not full speed. It is in small groups, more by and large, of guys doing particular sets. And you're not doing starters, you know, you're still doing starters versus your bench. So you're not doing it at NBA, the, the level that you're going to be doing it. It's, you cannot replicate it. It is very hard in the early part of a season. Stan talked about this too, and I agree with him. You, look, it took a couple of years to turn the defense around in Detroit. The whole thing in in in, in Boston, when people talk about how great they got defensively, that wasn't overnight either. You know, it wasn't the, the Lakers last year didn't turn great defensively overnight. Mm-mm. It took some time for those guys to figure out the proper matchups to make themselves effective. Who worked best with AD? That's why you saw in the postseason them switch to putting Dwight Howard alongside him rather than JaVale McGee. These are things that have to take time. And the Pelicans are not only the what, still the fifth youngest team in the league? Still the fifth youngest team in the league? When you, when you look at who's getting the majority of minutes, absolutely. I, I just, to me, and, and you and I have talked about this, and, and um, to me, the, 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 the more pressing idea is that you, move Bledsoe, that you move Bledsoe and you give those minutes to Kira Lewis Jr., Kyra Lewis Jr., excuse me, and you say, just create tempo and havoc. Do that, kid. And you see how many nights in a, a game it can work. If it works for 10, then I bring in, I got to bring in Josh and JJ and, and, and Nog play those minutes. Fine. But if I'm telling this kid, you got one mission and that's play downhill on offense and pressure the ball on defense. That's what you do. I want to see what happens. And I think that he could, the, the one thing that you wanted out of Eric Bledsoe coming here, two things, you want a defense and you want him to be a driver. And he, he's been solid defensively, mm-hmm. but he has not been a driver. No, he hasn't. And um, I mentioned this to you during our texts too, that uh, I'm shocked at how few attempts Bledsoe's getting at the rim. It's, it's 1.7 per game. Up in Milwaukee, he's averaging usually between 4, 4.3, 4.5. In that range, he had six one year. So, and it shows he's pulling up either halfway or trying to make a pass. For some reason, he doesn't look comfortable. You know, he's settling for a lot more threes. I think nearly half of his shot attempts this year have come from three-point range. And he's not that guy. So wait till regression hits this guy that's shooting 38%, right? That's going to hurt the Pelicans' offense. No, I understand when the fan base really laments the fact that Lonzo doesn't get the rim because you're right. You need somebody to, when, when things aren't working, to either create for yourself or for the team to be able to get to the rim. And the Pelicans have not done that well this year. And nobody has, not even Brandon Ingram. He, he's right there at about, I want to say, 2.2, 2.5 shot attempts at the rim. And that's off of his usual mark of being in the five range. And that's where the good players, the good wing players, 
they sit in the five to six range, right? So he's not even there. Nobody is. And that's a concern to me. The guards and the wings are not getting to the rim and, and giving up attempts. I'm not exactly sure why I've been trying to look for that in the games because it's not spacing to me. There are some lanes. They're just not taking them. Um, and, you know, Zion is really booing and, and Steven Adams, all those shot attempts for the Pelicans as a team in the restricted area. But if you remove those two, boy, it's been a world of hurt. So, no, it just really tells me that these growing pains are really happening. These guys with this motion offense, you see it's not the, hey, let's let's get the ball up the court as soon as we can. We're going to find the first open shot. No, now they're trying to get into these sets, and you're seeing hesitation. You're seeing indecisiveness. You're seeing them shooting balls from areas of the court that they're not as comfortable with. And so I just think this has all now been meshed into one giant ball and saying, hey, this team needs more offense. <laughs> Lonzo ball sucks. You don't give him any credit for the things that he does do well. And I'll be honest, I've been hard on him more than yeah. usual of late and, and deservedly so, right? He's got to push the pace, David. There's certain things that he needs to be doing. When you no, watch I agree with you. I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I yeah. think it's it, the focus has become purely on Lonzo, either yes. by people who are spending way too much time uh, persecuting him and way too or way too much time um supporting him it's 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 that's not the fight you're missing the picture and like you said there's every, we can go through each guy zion is taking more of his shots than last year um within uh excuse me more of his shots um around the rim than he did last year but his percentage is down considerably at the early part of this season so he's still learning it because when you talk about right around the rim last year, he was shooting 67% within three feet of the basket last year. This year he's at 58. That's a significant drop-off. That's not to say that Zion is playing bad basketball because his percentages actually for further out have gotten a little bit better. But for Zion, that eating is done right around the basket. And, and and so him, yeah, you expect that percentage to be a little bit higher because you start expecting him to get more foul calls as the season goes along as well when he figures those things out because his free throw attempts aren't where they should be. And I'm not saying that again on him as a failure. It's about refs figuring him out. He's still only 30 plus games into his career, 33 games into his career. So yeah, I think there's still things that have to be figured out, but his free throw rate is going to go up. His field goal percentage around the rim is going to go up you'd expect. And I think that there's, like I said, Brandon Ingram, the last four games has not shot the ball well. He's turned it over too much. He even, David, you recall the couple of passes he tried to make late in the game, the Steven Adams that were resulted in turnovers. I mean, yeah, that, that shocked me. But again, he's still growing too. So we can't expect him to be all LeBron James all the time, right? To make the right play. He's, he's still lurch, learning on the job. I wouldn't mind if his assist came down to five rather than be at eight. If he took those, instead of trying to get those assists, which have led to four turnovers a game in the last few games, take that and go to the rim. Those, those things that you were just talking about, drive and finish and try to finish at the rim and get yourself to the free throw line because the Pelicans do get there as a group. But the guys, like you said, like Zion and Ingram should be in the eight, you know, free throw attempts, nine free throw attempts a game just because of the amount of pressure that they're supposed to put on defenses inside. And they're not getting that every night because they, because Brandon quite frankly has settled a bit too much. And that's again, it's every guy on the roster. There is a, there's no one person who's let the team down over these four games. Every guy, every guy on the roster has yeah. a problem. 
And I'm not surprised by this happening with B.I. because in the previous couple of games, um, I remember him basically grabbing the ball at like the eight, nine minute mark of the fourth and basically dictating every possession. So he went from one extreme, right, which that's not a level that was sustainable. I don't care how proficiently you're getting the ball through the hoop, whether through your own hands or through a teammate's hands. That, that, that The offense stagnated. And now I feel like he's trying to suddenly change course and get others involved because he's probably watched some film and sees that or somebody's pointed it out to him. But you know what? He's still learning. He, he's going to figure it all out, how to make the right plays. But my general vibe is I hope people realize there's a lot of things that we've pointed out that they're either not doing well or that they can be doing better. And I think that's the biggest takeaway in these first nine games. So, And they're four and five. It's not – yeah, you would have loved to have won those games. Yes. Let's, uh, winnable um, game, losing winnable games sucks. It does. Right? Absolutely. And I know it's it's a flashback for a lot of people. You go into it, and, and we've seen it. We've been burned by it, and we've talked about it. Is that, oh, this feels like – I mean, I, you know, there was a th- the third quarter against and you uh, Charlotte. And you want to reach for Band-Aids when that happens. So it's understandable to want to – got to get another star in here. You know, start – You we got to change gears. It's understandable. But, you know, that's not what the numbers in the film say. That's all that's we're not talking what hit, And our, our man Chris Conner has made the point, too, that historically – this is not how it works. You don't get to skip steps. The only team that's done that really effectively are ones that got LeBron James. No one else. But they, but then he was surrounded by vets, right? True. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, when he goes to Miami, those are vets. When he got back to Cleveland, he had vets. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's not a team. It, it wasn't. And what Stephen we, doesn't have eight guys he can rely on every no. night. This that is, is still that Milwaukee problem. stage. This is still very much to me, like, and I've used that team a lot, Milwaukee, Toronto, those kinds of places where you have to figure out who your two guys are. And in Toronto for a long time, they figured out, okay, well, it's Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And it got them to conference semis and it got them to a conference finals. And then they said, we need another thing to go above this. And they swapped out DeRozan and got Kawhi Leonard. And that was the piece. And not only that, David, but they, they took the time and effort to – grow and develop their young talent to develop good habits. This is things that have not happened in New Orleans. The young guys aren't getting run. They didn't under Alvin. They're certainly not right now through the nine games under uh, Stan Van Gundy. And I blame the roster construction for part of that, though, too. I do. I absolutely do. Stan's been wanting to get off to a good, I feel like, season start by relying on the guys he feels like he should be relying on to bring home the wins. And so that's why I feel like the rotations have been down. We have seen Kyra nothing but garbage minutes. Nikhil's been on a very short leash. And even Jackson and Melly, I mean, he's really, you know, jerked them around, but rightfully so. They have been so bad overall to start this year. And that's unacceptable to me. Stan needs some more talent he can rely on on this bench. And that goes back to David Griffin's roster construction, you know? I mean – Let's, let's not – I mean, if you want – guys, if, if fans want to give grief over something at this point in the season, and especially over these three winnable games being thrown away, that's it to me. You know, you're going to have off nights from Brandon, Zion, you name it, or a player's just not feeling right, has those five turnovers. Or say the defense isn't on point. You still need to be able to find and trust production on either – end of the floor somewhere else and the Pelicans have not gotten it outside of of that last game where JJ and Josh Hart combined for what 33 34 points no it was 36 Josh had 19 JJ had 17 yeah that's the first time we've seen that since the opening game against Toronto where you know JJ went off for like 23 points that's not good enough 
No, no, it, it really isn't. And and I think that when you want to see a guy, if you want to see Nikhil, it's like you have it, for all these guys, it's finding the right lineup for them. And, and these matchups mixing and matching, it's, it's so difficult because you can't put Zion and Jax together defensively, but you have to at, at certain points, just because who else can I go to? I don't have anyone else. So you put them out there and immediately your defense gets worse. And when your defense collapses that way, all the other bad habits start coming back because what do young players do? They want to make up the plays immediately. Oh, we made a bad play on this side. We got to get it back right now. That leads saw that to more last mistakes. game. They start forcing did. passes. Nikhil's on a drive, tries to throw an impossible pass to Jackson. I, I remember vividly right now. There's a bunch of that stuff, David. And it's a young team. I mean, I know fans hate excuses, but that's that, that's what's happening here, guys. It's a young we team see that lacks depth and it lacks versatility. When we, when we say that despite all these mistakes that could be six and three, despite all these, you know, points off turnovers are given up, the fast break points to opponents, the second chance points in some of these games, despite all this, that they could be six and three, I think speaks volumes to that actually they have a decent amount of talent. The starting lineup is no problem. Legitimately. Especially the starting the lineup. They've been amazing in first quarters for the most part. They are, they have been, like I said, the, one of the top five starting lineups because A, they've been together this season. They've not been hurt. But even as a group, the minutes that they put together on the floor, they're number three in the league because they defensively they do their job as a group. But once those Thank things, Adams. <laughs> once they start mixing and matching and you get these other groups of guys who don't understand the game, who don't understand what their roles are. And that is partially a function of unfamiliarity with each other, with the coaches. And some of them are just not basketball intelligent. And all you've got to do is notice it when there is a play in transition. You'll see a couple of the Pelicans do the right play, whether they rotate properly or go and guard the assignment that they should. Like I see it all the time out of Steven Adams and Lonzo. They do well, but other players, and Josh Hart too. But there's others that are either jogging back. I've seen that too much out of Eric Bledsoe and Zion. Head at the, head at the rim instead up. of looking at the men. To where Jackson makes a rotation to help once, and then he forgets about his man, doesn't box out, and that guy gets the rebound. There's so many other things happening. It's a domino effect. And therefore, that's why these collapses are happening. That's why these opponents get these runs. Even bad teams come back, beat the Pelicans. I mean, it's been bad basketball. You can't hide the fact that for the most part, the Pelicans have only themselves to blame. And it's, it's, I don't know. To be four and five, I feel like is actually pretty good, David. You know, they could be six and three, but they could be also worse, right? Because that offense was putrid. Those first four or five games or whatever, mm-hmm. they couldn't make a shot. They were really just relying on Zion and behind. There was nobody else. So I, I feel like they're still in a decent position. But of course, now it's this, now it's a six game road trip. It was seven, now it's six. And boy, these two games coming up, actually, I should say the whole trip. Kings are playing better, so are the Timberwolves. So suddenly I don't feel like there's an easy game on this uh, road trip. But I view it differently than other people do again. And I wrote this in my preview for the Dallas game on the bird rights, was that win or lose, I don't expect them to come back over 500 on this, this road trip. I don't. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that would just – that would be stupid on my part, I think. You know, if they do, fantastic. But my expectation, reasonably speaking, is if they went three and three – I'm, I'm a bonus, you know, call I'm it. Laughing. Yeah. But I'll be happy. I want to see. I'll, is, I'll be happy with two and four, honestly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, let's be realistic going into this. What did you expect? You thought it could be as bad as two and five. 
You know what I mean? Like, or it could or one, in, one in six. That's that was legit on the table. So if they come back and it's two and four, three and three, fantastic. I'm great with that. But more than most importantly, I'm looking for the level of competition. Are they committed to what they're trying to learn? Are they committed to fighting through the mistakes and staying on the course and saying, okay, the offense didn't work this time or the defense didn't work this time, but it wasn't because we weren't doing what we were supposed to do. It just got beat. And that's the thing is I, I want to see fewer of the mental mistakes, fewer of the turnovers that are live ball, unforced errors, fewer of those things. And if you see fewer of those things over the course of this trip, I think you'll see a better team come out of it. They've got to clean it up, David. These these turnovers, I mean, I'm, I'm used to now seeing 16, 17, 18 turnovers because we've seen it for years during the entire Alvin Gentry era to now this season. That is the number one thing that they've got to cut. And I, I remember Stan Van Gundy going off one post game about it, it, it's damn time or something. He started going off about because it really is. I mean, that's the only way you're going to really truly improve across the board. Stop making mistakes. Next thing is you touch on it. I think 48 minutes of good competitive effort is required. First game or this last game in, in Charlotte, I noticed, boy, they were actually pushing the pace, not running super fast, but playing with pace to where it was smart. They got seven fast break points. They got a lot of good shots. They had, you know, Charlotte on their heels, but that, that didn't happen for the final three quarters. Why not? You know, so th- th- there's so many things, David, I keep going back to it, wanting to point and talk about, but yeah, I want to see improvement in, in almost in any of these areas on this road trip. Like, that means to me that they're now grasping at what's being thrown at them that, you know, the coaching staff's trying to teach them. And if they have any hopes of being decent, you know, realistic shot of getting in the playoffs, forget the play in tournament. I don't think it's, I want to be scrapping for a nine or 10 C because that means you're mired in mediocrity all season. No, we should be hoping for more because I feel like they have the potential for more. So I want to see it start on this road trip. The last thing I'll say on the turnovers is this. The bottom of the league from, uh, from 20 to 30, the rankings for teams of most turnovers, 20 to 30. There are only four teams in that group who have a winning – excuse me, five teams in that group um, who have winning records. But you look at those teams and who they are. Philly – which, you know, is a overwhelming amount of – plays great defense. Philly plays great defense. You talk about Boston, a team that can turn it over because they play very solid defense and can score – they have a, a different – And this is a group that went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, last two years. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, and then you talk about the Lakers. Again, a team that turns it over, but they're the freaking Lakers – and LeBron James is known to turn it over at times. The teams turn it over at a high rate. Of all defense, David, the Pelicans would have won some more games had they not turned it over as much. The other ones, OKC one and Milwaukee. Other- yep. OKC and Milwaukee, the only other two. And Milwaukee got off to that slow start this season, and they were figuring themselves out. And so – but all those teams are that are winning with a lot of turnovers are great defensive teams. And that's the only way they're over able to overcome those turnovers is because they're great defensive teams. Nobody's calling OKC a great offensive team. Nobody's calling the Lakers a great offensive team because they are not. You know, say so. Let's, you know, it, it's it comes down to the basic parts of this game, and I think people need to not panic. It's like stop panicking. And by saying the whole the overall thing of this, by saying no to Bradley Beal, it's not about Bradley Beal. It's about not panicking, and that there is a bigger. There has to be something bigger down the road and you need to find out what it is. And you don't do that in nine games. If Bradley Bill's still going to be on the table, he'll be there in February. 
he'll be there in February. But you, I mean, but to me, it, 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 as we said, I just don't see where it makes sense, how it makes sense, and I don't even see it as probable. I could see the instantaneous improvement on in certain areas, but overall, this team is not going to be better because they're still bad at the fundamentals. And that's all I was trying to preach to Shemet, a few other people yesterday. They are not ready in a good position now to basically reap the rewards from landing a star or superstar, however you want to term it. Because that, to me, he's not going to tip the scales to suddenly take this team from mediocre to upper echelon. It's not going to happen. You make that move if you think you're going to the finals. That's the move you make if you think you're going to the finals. That's a mortgage. We're pushing everything to the middle of the table. We're going to the finals on this. And that ain't this year. I could also see making that move if, if you feel like there's a void um, and, and a, a good, like, stars don't come around often. So you can grow with them, I believe, too. And that's why I, I would At 27, are you growing with Bradley Beal, though? Well, no, that's the thing, right? You've got two and a half years to get it right with him. His chances are he's going uh, to want to leave, go elsewhere, because the Pelicans are not going to win a title in that amount of time. They're not going to get to the finals in the next two and a half years, I don't think. It's really, just one and a half because of the player option. It's one and a half this year next with the player option. Because so That's I why mean, I just don't believe in shooting your load as an organization to throw you know, every asset that you have at somebody now. It, I just I don't, I don't see how if the championship is the goal. Right. If you want to be the Memphis Grizzlies or some other team that made the playoffs every year, maybe made the second round a couple times. Fine. Yeah, I can see that. But I don't think that's the vision of this organization. Griffin has never talked like that. He has talked about one thing, pointing to the neighbors, the Saints, how they've done it. And they want to mimic that success. And the only way to do it is by being responsible in, in all your decision making. So to suddenly trade for Bradley Beal seems very irresponsible. And we've talked about it at length already. Yep. Man, Ali, I appreciate this conversation because, uh, you know, we could do this with the other guys, some, and but it, it turns sometimes, you know, it's just too – sometimes you just need to do this one-on-one. And, and so I thank you for coming on today. And we will be – so for folks who do listen to the bird calls, um, we will be recording tonight um, and, and talking about this and some other things as well. But, um, yeah, I, I tend to moderate those rather than um, say as much things as I would like to no, say. I miss, I miss hearing you talk as much in those. So, <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that Ali and I really got into this for you. So, Ali, um, tell them what, what, what we may have coming up. Because um, Yeah, I'm going to take all the stats that I spent. You wrote down this piece of paper and turn an article. Because let's face it. Stan Van Gundy's told people that the defense has been bad. The last four games really slipped. We've been trying to say it, but for some reason, most of the fans I see on social media aren't buying it. So they keep still pointing. So I think it's time we write an article on this and say, here it is. I mean, it's right there in front of you. Look at the facts. Yeah. yeah I mean, it almost feels like you got to do – to break it down, you almost have to do a game-by-game comparison, and it's like this is the I've team we were playing. Versus the last four, and it's, it's pretty clear it's done good. <laughs> All right, my brother. Um, they can follow you, of course, at Ali underscore Ali Cosell. Is it underscore? Am I trying to remember? No, just I full name. Yeah, just Ali Cosell. <laughs> Come on, Insta- deep grub. Yes, I know. On Instagram and Twitter, and of course, thebirdrights.com. Um, you can check out all of our stuff. And for me, at DM Grub, Instagram and Twitter as well, and the website HITP with DG.com. Go support it and buy some merchandise. Keep my children fed keep my house. And now that I'm adding apparently a new dog, uh, uh, again, I've been blackmailed by my family, but 
Um, so I need more money to feed this. We'll talk about that more in our podcast tonight because I've been mean to ask you how that's going for you, but save it. I'm, all right. So for I like myself, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Hard to Paint. I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Peace. <laughs>